Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Control Up, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. Control Up, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by PolicyPack Software, now part of Netrix, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. Starting this week's episode with some very sad and unfortunate news. This week, many awesome people working for Citrix were let go. My usual go-to when layoffs happen is the layoff.com. And there's plenty of information on there, but almost all of it is posted anonymously for good reason. So I won't repeat it on this podcast since it can't be verified. But multiple sources have also said, like verifiable sources, that the number of people let go is significant and even entire departments were terminated. I would like to commiserate with everyone affected by this and wish everyone well. And also to the people at Citrix who did not lose their jobs but lost colleagues and friends. I'm sorry for you too. I've been in that position. It is a horrible feeling and so demoralizing. Just best of luck to everyone in this situation. One uplifting reaction to this was that so many from the community have rallied around those affected with Phil Whiffen, who himself was affected, starting a Twitter thread with many replies of job opportunities. So if you're a Citrite who was affected by this, be sure to check out that thread from Phil on Twitter. The Record Media reported this week that the Emotet botnet is back up and running. You may recall I covered the story on the podcast that several nations' law enforcement teams teamed up in an operation to take it down by taking down the infrastructure hosting the botnet, and they even rolled out uninstalls of the botnet on systems it was detected to be on. Security researcher Luca Ibak said he spotted that another malware botnet named TrickBot was helping the Emotet gang get back on its feet by installing the Emotet malware on systems that had been previously infected with TrickBot. The group known as CryptoLemas said that right now the Emotet gang is not sending out any new email spam but relying on the TrickBot gang to help them create an initial footprint of their new botnet incarnation before ramping up spam operations again. The White Hat Research Group said, it doesn't seem too large at this time and we are not seeing active distribution yet. The record media and the researchers are urging people to block a list of command and control servers that they provided and I'll provide a link to this article with this episode as I do everything that I mention on each episode of the podcast and you'll find that on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 203. Fabio Vigiani warned that there's an ongoing large campaign leading to ransomware right now. In a Twitter thread he explains they exploit proxy shell to take over multiple exchange servers hijack email threads on compromised exchange servers, 
mass phishing delivering quackbot via dat uploader and then quickly follow up by ransomware affiliates using cobalt strike and it moves fast only one to two hours from the quackbot infection to active directory enumeration and escalation again with this one fabio provided a list a long list of ip addresses uh, urls and domains that you'll want to block as soon as you can also lena who goes by dork phoenix awesome handle on twitter tweeted that you want to go plug in these iocs into your xdr and ask it what your environment has seen as this one moves so fast and if your organization doesn't have an xdr cisco have one that's free on tuesday many sites on the internet were taken down temporarily by google cloud disruption some of the sites affected included spotify pokemon go rocket league and snapchat to name just a few Unlike the Roblox outage a few weeks ago, at least this one was brief. Other than a note to say services were coming back online and they had been working on it, I could not find a root cause disclosed by Google. Windows 10 version 21H2 is now available through, through Windows Server Update Services and Windows Update for Business and can be downloaded from the Visual Studio subscriptions, the Software Download Center, and the Volume Licensing Service Center. This marks the start of the new, less frequent update release cadence. Along with this OS update version, some of the admin tools have also been updated, including updated administrative templates for group policy for Windows 10 version 21H2, Group Policy Settings Reference Spreadsheet for Windows 10 version 21H2 has been updated, and also the Windows 10 Enterprise Evaluation for IT professionals interested in trying out the new version of Windows 10 on behalf of their organization. That offer of 90-day evaluation for this version is also updated and available. Coinciding with this, Windows 10 build 19044.1379 has been moved to the release preview channel with the usual long list of fixes included in the release notes. And I did notice a few Internet Explorer 11 fixes, which maybe is a little bit worrying. Maybe it indicates that there's still quite a large presence who are using Internet Explorer 11. Really need to be working to get away from that if that includes you. Citrix's support of virtual apps and desktops service on Azure VMware Solution is now generally available. So that's a very interesting meeting of technologies. It's Azure VMware Solution plus Citrix virtual apps and desktop and obviously Azure being a Microsoft solution. They say that by migrating CVAD to run natively on Azure VMware Solution, you can accelerate and simplify the migration of on-premises virtual desktop infrastructure to Azure. Lift and shift your vSphere-based Citrix workloads to Azure VMware Solution and continue to leverage existing VMware and Citrix tools and expertise for operational consistency. Furthermore, enable a reduction in the number of images under management with real-time one-to-many application provisioning and zero downtime updates. So I guess if you're enjoying using Citrix solutions on your VMware vSphere on-prem today and you want to continue doing that in the cloud, this could be a path forward. Peter Westra on Twitter shared that he noticed 
the fact that the VMware Verify app, which is VMware standalone two-factor authentication app, is going to be end of availability and end of support on October 31st, 2022. It says it may continue to work, but won't be available in any app stores and also won't be supported. So if you're using that today, best to start working toward an alternative. Scott Manchester was a guest on Chris John's new video interview series this week. He talked about some pretty interesting sounding roadmap items for Windows 365, including a restore option. So hopefully in future, you'll no longer need to wipe away the desktop entirely when doing a reset. You could just do a restore in future. That sounds pretty good. Also talked about the ability to provision the business desktops to users and make them standard users from the Windows 365 portal and also the possibility of an offline mode, which sounds really interesting. So he was talking about possibly, you know, take your Windows 365 desktop, maybe go on a plane, use the desktop, and then once you reconnect to the internet again, it will sync the state of your desktop while it was offline back to the cloud and everything's just in swing again. Scott also encouraged people who are using the product to submit feature requests. And I'll share a link to that feature request portal with this episode. Also, a quick note, I noticed that on the Windows 10 21H2 release notes, they mentioned that management capabilities for the business desktop is coming soon, which is interesting because I didn't see that during Ignite, but the release note said that it was announced during Ignite, so I must have missed it. Anyway, all good because it is sorely needed for the business desktop, so I'm looking forward to that. Some new Microsoft Authenticator security features were announced this week, including that admins can now prevent accidental approvals in Microsoft Authenticator with number matching in additional context. That's in public preview now. Kind of sounds like what Google does, so that would be pretty interesting. Um, Also announced was that admins can now set up GPS location-based conditional access policies using Authenticator. That's generally available already. And finally, admins can now nudge their users to set up a Microsoft Authenticator during sign-in using the registration campaign feature. And that's also already generally available. Also generally available this week is Microsoft Defender for Endpoint Plan 1. They say with Plan 1, you can expect that Defender for Endpoint P1 is focused on prevention and EPP, including industry-leading anti-malware that is cloud-based with built-in artificial intelligence that helps to stop ransomware, known and unknown malware, and other threats in their tracks. Also, attack surface reduction capabilities that harden the device, prevent zero days, and offer granular control over access and behaviors on the endpoint. And finally, device-based conditional access that offers an additional layer of data protection and breach prevention and enables a zero-trust approach. This week, Ars Technica reported a write-up by the Google Threat Analysis Group on a privilege escalation bug in macOS Catalina that was being used by a well-resourced and likely state-backed group to target visitors to pro-democracy websites in Hong Kong. According to Google's Air Hernandez, the vulnerability labeled as CVE-2021-30869 was reported to Apple in late August of 2021 
and patched in macOS Catalina Security Update 2021-006 on September 23rd. The exact same CVE was patched in macOS Big Sur version 11.2, which was released all the way back on February 1st, 2021. The article points out that that's a 234-day gap, despite the fact that Apple was and is still actively updating both versions of macOS. So if you have a 2012 MacBook and that just can't take Big Sur and you're stuck in Catalina, it means you had no choice, you had to stay on Catalina, and despite a promise of a two-year continuation of security patches, it appears either this fell through the cracks or perhaps the older operating systems don't receive priority by Apple. So that is obviously pretty disappointing. You know, I talked about uh, security fixes for IE11 featuring in the latest Windows 10 preview. I think Apple needs to up its game on supporting some of its older software. I mean, Catalina's not really old. Step it up, Apple. Amazon AppStream 2.0 adds support for Amazon Linux 2. They say that with this launch, you can now stream Linux applications and desktops to your users and greatly lower the total streaming cost by migrating MATLAB, Eclipse, Firefox, Putty, and other similar applications from Windows to Linux on Amazon AppStream 2.0. I think that's a really interesting one because I've thought about that before of um, just spinning up some Linux machines, at least for the browser, at least for Firefox. So I think it's pretty cool that AWS see that potential too and now it's being offered they say that it's currently supported in all aws regions where appstream 2.0 is available to get started just log into the console select a region and launch an amazon linux 2 based image builder to install your applications and create the image for your users sticking with cloud Blob Storage on Azure now supports the SSH File Transfer Protocol, SFTP, in Preview. This support provides the ability to securely connect to Blob Storage accounts via an SFTP endpoint, allowing you to leverage SFTP for file access file transfer as well as file management. Right now, the preview is limited to only certain regions. It includes North Central US, East US 2, East US 2, EUAP, Central US EUAP, Canada East, Canada Central, North Europe, Australia East, Switzerland North, Germany West Central, East Asia, and France Central. So a long list of regions, but also some pretty big regions missing, including the one I live in. <laughs> Daniel Kronland posted a blog that I was going to put as a tip this week, but it seems more newsworthy. Did you know that by default, Azure AD guests can enumerate all users, the complete org map, all security groups, both synced and cloud native, and all teams in the guest tenant? His blog post goes through how that's done and also how you can protect your tenant. He provides a proof of concept script as well with his blog post. Obviously, only use that if you want to use it for researching in your own tenant. Don't use it for nefarious needs. This week it was announced that the Windows Media Player has started to roll out to those in the Insider Preview for Windows 11. 
The update to the new media player will replace the Groove Music app. Microsoft are aware of an issue preventing playback from network locations, as well as issues that under certain circumstances impact editing album metadata, sorting library content with accented characters, and UI elements not respecting your app theme preference. So obviously it's a preview, so there's going to be some quirks to it, I guess. Just from images, it does look like the album and artist art display while playing music does look pretty nice, so let's give it a chance, I guess. The record media have reported that the FBI said it has discovered an advanced persistent threat abusing a zero-day vulnerability in fat pipe networking devices as a way to breach companies and gain access to their internal networks. The agency stated that as of November 2021, FBI forensic analysis indicated exploitation of a zero-day vulnerability in the FatPipe MPVPN device software going back to at least May 2021. The FBI have said the vulnerability allowed the hacking group to exploit a file upload function in the device's firmware and install a web shell with root access. They also say they've spotted the hackers abusing the zero day only against FatPipe MPVPN devices, but the vulnerability also impacted other products such as IPVPN and Warp. There was no CVE published at the time of this recording, but the good news is that the vulnerability has now been patched, so if you own any of those devices, patch now. Finally in the news this week, CSO Online had an excellent, really detailed story on how Maersk handled getting hit by the NotPetya malware back in 2017 and how they handled moving forward afterward. The malware infected approximately 55,000 devices within 7 minutes. When they detected less activity was occurring on their network than usual, they figured something was up and started shutting everything down. They lost some 49,000 laptops and computer devices from the attack. All 1,200 of their critical business apps uh, were rendered inaccessible, while some of those were mainframes or other pieces of hardware running Linux that were technically still running. They had no network to connect to, so were pretty useless, I guess. Maersk's network was completely wiped out. It thought every single one of its 147 Active Directory instances had ceased to exist. Any phone numbers not written down were lost as phone contact lists were synced with Outlook, which was wiped after the phones weren't able to reach the network. The company had lost the ability to communicate globally. They were able to unencrypt a single encrypted device, but it took 22,000 hours of compute effort, and unfortunately, it was a unique decryption key for each device, so it was unrealistic to use it for all devices. Some good fortune came Maersk's way in the form of a power cut in Lagos, Nigeria, which meant that the local office was offline at the time of the attack. A full, unencrypted copy of Active Directory was available. They said that the 23-year-old local IT support guy got a free trip on a Gulfstream G450 physically carrying the hard drive that they used as the yeast that built the rest of their network back up. The report states their CSO told the CEO he wanted to build a brand new environment. The CEO thought it was crazy, but the option was either doing something or doing nothing and just waiting with hope that Microsoft or their antivirus vendor would provide a solution. 
They said that by around day 14, Maersk had its basic business technology back. Their CSO, Mr. Banks, stayed at the office for 70 days straight directing the recovery. There's much, much more in the report, but I don't want to give the whole thing away on this podcast. I strongly advise everyone to read it. It also talks about the importance of transparency when something like this happens. Check it out. You won't regret reading it, and I'll share it with this episode, which again is episode 203, and you'll find it on 5bytespodcast.com under reference links. And now this episode, Scripts, Tricks, and Tips. Niels Koch posted a multi-part series that is so detailed and incredible going through how to use scripts to download installers, package them, upload to Intune, and assign it. There are some examples including using an EXE or an MSI and packaging them up into Intune, then publishing the packages as artifacts. So it seems like there's a really huge push now for Microsoft Endpoint Manager, especially with new technologies like Windows 365 and obviously AVD maybe embracing it more. Good time to check out this blog post and figure it out for yourself. Advanced Installer released a free tool called MSIX Tweaker that automates complex or repetitive post-processing tasks. One of the post-processing tasks it can help with is signing of packages, which I find to be a bit of a pain in the butt. I use MSIX Hero for that. So if you're looking at MSIX, check this product out. It's free. Simon Binder shared a great tip this week. He said he couldn't state the importance enough of having at least one break glass account in your Azure tenant. It is not only for faults, it is also for when you mess up. I think I posted a similar tip a couple of years ago on this podcast when Eric from Zenapp Blog shared it. So maybe not, maybe it wasn't Eric. Maybe my memory's bad. But still, yeah, have a break glass account. Chris John Brinkoff gave a tip on an Outlook feature that can automatically set all of your meeting requests with a five minute buffer so you don't constantly run late for other meetings. I think that's a nice idea. Nate Chamberlain shared a blog post on creating iCal calendar item links with a workflow using Power Automate or SharePoint Designer. Ian Coldwater on Twitter shared a pretty cool resource, a site called command-not-found showing you what package name you need to install an application that you want on any distro, as well as example syntax for that command. So if you find Linux to be a bit of a pain in the ass for installing stuff, like I do, then this will be useful for you. Anoop C. Nair shared a blog post on his site on how to create a filter rule for Windows 365 Cloud PCs using Intune or MEM. So again, very topical. If you're into Windows 365, check that out. Colin Wilkins shared a pro tip this week. He said that when using the OMA URI for local users and groups on Azure AD joined devices, make sure you use the Azure AD group SID of any on-prem groups synced with AAD Connect for populating local group memberships. He said that it doesn't work if you specify the on-prem group SID. He said it's logical, but not obvious. So make sure you're using the correct SID. My buddy Trenton Ty shared some tips around debugging a logon, and it is fascinating. It combines his knowledge and the knowledge of Guy Leach with some of Guy's really great tooling to help you through. 
And speaking of Guy Leach, he shared his PowerShell Performance Pointers webinar session on his YouTube channel. Go watch it and give Guy some of that like and subscribe action the kids are all talking about. The MindCore team blogged on how to create a custom image for Windows 365 Enterprise. So a lot of Windows 365 content this week. <laughs> Interesting. Adam Gross blogged on VDI and Configuration Manager co-management with MEM and the ups and downs of it and what you should know before starting. And finally, for anyone who attended part one of the cloud paging training that was provided to the cloud paging user group, part two will be coming up on December 3rd. So if you didn't even join for the first one, but this is something you're interested in, I did record part one of the training. It's available to those who join the group. So join the cloud paging user group if you'd like to get some of that free training and it'll be available in our Slack workspace. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.